0: Just a good old boy, never meaning no
1: harm, beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born.
2: Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bob Beef. Jeff Andrew with us. Great to be here, guys. Thanks. Regular guest on the live stream. See when. uh, We definitely have at least four or five more coming this month. Uh, I don't know why we do it yet, other than. um, Yeah, I don't know.
1: Jeff Bezos told us to do it, so we're doing it like a good little. Little pig, little pay pigs.
2: Yeah, well, that's one of it. So the first, I, I mean, okay, so I'll just come clean. So the first night that we did it, uh, like, we, 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 I wanted to do a election stream. It might have been someone's idea. I don't remember. But we did it. It was awesome. I had no intention to do it anymore. And then Twitch sent us this email. Hey, buddy, a lot of people watch your stream. If you keep doing it, we'll make you partner. I have no idea what that meant. But I was like, next thing you know, we're like, we're like in this mouse experiment uh <laughs> mouse utopia and like and i still have no idea what we were supposed to get out of streaming all this but it's honestly it's just fun anyways just to answer live questions and uh, i don't know it's fun we have jeff here jeff is at bandrew at attycpa yeah if you look at me or merrick we'll we're RTing ing him constantly yeah
1: we, we'll have people on here and i'll say like this was, a, this was our good friend or whatever but uh jeff w- 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 if ever i have an idea I'll look it up, and Jeff thought of it like five minutes
0: before. <laughs> You're too kind.
2: Jeff is a attorney, CPA, bodybuilder, Bitcoin expert, and most relevant today, no official capacity, but you know a lot about COVID.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the basically the reason for that is, like a lot of people that are now skeptical of uh, you know mainstream sort of responses to COVID, we started out as preppers, right? And that's how I basically learned all about this shit, because in January and February when nobody else cared about this like I was reading everything I could find about it I was buying respirators and you know for my family and the whole nine yards I also read in Italian a uh, little bit so I was able to read you know news that was coming out of Italy about what was going on there and just sort of really trying to keep up with it and I'm not in any I'm a lawyer right so I got to say the the lawyer thing here start to start anything I say, talk to your doctor about before you act on any of it, right? Don't come suing me if anything bad happens to you based on this conversation. But from the bodybuilding stuff that I do, uh, I was used to reading scientific studies, right? Not to the degree that a, you know, someone that works in the field was, but I knew how to read an exercise science study, sort of smell bullshit or look for stuff that seemed more relevant and accurate. And I just sort of applied those same skills to a lot of the early COVID studies. So basically, I was, you know, at the beginning of all this, when I was very worried about it, I was, uh, you know, in my house prepping for me and my family and just spending a huge amount of time reading up on it. So that's how, that's basically where my knowledge comes from on this point. And then like most people that were prepping during that time period, uh, we kind of quickly, fairly early on, realized that this wasn't all it was cracked up to be, and it was a total 180. That applied to the other side, too. You'll notice everyone that in February, like the New York Times and Washington Post and uh, the Commissioner of Health for New York City and a lot of politicians were all saying that people like me were racist, right, for worrying about this. (laughs) Uh, And then, I mean, those editorials are still up. And I've brought this up to people and they're like, oh, that's not true. And you post the receipts and they're still like, well, you know, they weren't really saying you were racist because all those same sources, all those same people are the exact same people now that say the second you leave your house, you're going to die. So there was a complete – on almost everybody. Merrick is one of the few people I know that did not do that inversion. You were skeptical pretty much from the beginning through the end. I give you credit for that.
1: I, I knew the real enemy all along the common bat
0: there you go actually you know what the only other guys i knew that were real that were really really um consistent start to end the whole time are like the anarcho-capitalist guys online those guys actually (laughs) i thought they were freaking nuts in january and february and they actually turned out to be vindicated at least on this particular issue
2: so uh and me i say nothing because i don't know anything about this uh uh i i you know I, I don't i don't care where you study i just uh, uh i listen to what you say but um one of, it, there's there's two stories going on here so there's there's this there's this um there's this covid right it's an illness uh i i mean there uh, there's various levels you, to be scared of it the very beginning when we first saw the videos coming out of Wuhan people were like strapped to tables. Uh, uh, looking like an Exorcist or whatever, uh-huh. uh, and and or all to the way of I, uh, you know, um, uh, we have a friend, someone that was like, um, uh, we know somebody that, that uh, know somebody, know somebody that was like, you know, I've uh, haven't been able to um, to go to the uh, go to the club lately because I've been scared of this COVID, so I just went to one of these range parties, and got the COVID on purpose. Um, so there, there's there's <laughs> wait what. Yeah, uh, ask Oliver about that. So, um <laughs>
0: oh my God, sorry. That was a thing in the beginning. I remember that. Like, it was like supposed to be a version of like the chickenpox parties that kids yeah. would have back in. I don't think parents do that anymore, but like that was a thing. Like, you know, even when I was a kid, I think that was still around. Like the chickenpox party, where you would take one kid would get chickenpox. The parents would all bring the kids to their house to try to get them like a mild exposure, so they would build immunity to it. Yeah, because so yeah, but I remember killed. there were people doing that very early on for COVID.
2: Right on, and, and so th- and there's another story, and um, I'd like to, and so there's like in terms of like, because uh, I, I do know people that are still scared, and the the thing is, and I'd like to separating the best I can, is there's two things going on. There's this illness, right? Is it going to kill me? Is it going to get sick? Is there long-term issues? And then there's this other thing, right? And it's like, and we don't have to... Uh, it, it, it's very simple, okay? There's. It's very difficult to change things in this very complicated world. There's 300 million people in this country. And um, whenever, whenever, like... Uh, a, any kind of crisis that can change things drastically that now anyone who has any kind of nose for politics knows, uh, uh, that, uh, this is, this is the kind of thing that if you are a political operator that you seize upon, I mean, if you're any kind of person with any kind of nose for politics, if you do anything in politics, you are stupid. If you don't look at situations like this and think, Hmm, what could I, what could I get out of this now? It, and I think that's doubly worse because first off, it's totally changed our lives. So I'll tell you what, like, uh, I mean, it's totally changed my life. I haven't sat in traffic since that bat got loose in Wuhan, <laughs> not once. It, <clears throat> I, my life is completely different. And, and uh, whenever you, whenever you have this, so, you, so you, there's that element, right? So there's a lot of people, when a lot of different things trying to get through politics, um, making that worse is like a, so this is extended so right so so th- this has been going on long enough that every investment bank every political party everyone who everyone who might want to do something from this has had plenty of time to mull it over and how they can b- profit from it and those are kind of two separate things and but they're both very important people lost their business people you know, all kind of shit going on and uh uh people some people taking it better than that some people having dinner at the french laundry but th- those <laughs> are sort of two different things um i, I think the-, the the first primary thing to talk about is this illness is it going to kill me how bad it is, is it how likely am i get it do i wear the mask do i not wear the mask
0: yeah i mean so right i think that's important and before i go into that i'm going to say very briefly what I'm not saying, okay? So, and, and what I, and this is going to apply to this whole conversation. Parts of what I'm going to say here are, may sound to certain people like I'm claiming that physicians are sitting in a room with politicians conspiring, such that only certain information about the disease gets out. And I don't think that that's happening at all. Um, I think it's like everything else, in that the you know politicians, people in power, etc. They just have the choice of which voices to platform. Right, And the types mm-hmm. of sort of uh, extreme measures that we've taken to mitigate COVID, there are infectious disease experts that think that we should have done this, that we should do this all the time, every year during cold and flu season. That's absolutely a thing. And those are the types of people being platformed right now. Um, or even if not every single flu season, you know, every few years, for instance, two flu seasons ago, over the course of a couple months, 100,000 plus Americans died. And that's using numbers when we weren't, like, you know, we weren't recording those numbers nearly as meticulously as we are today. So if we were coding influenza death two flu seasons ago, the way that we're coding COVID deaths today, it probably would have been far in excess of 100,000 American deaths. So we we didn't hear about that back then, right? We all just went about our business. Most people don't even know that that was a thing. They don't remember it. Um, Same thing with 1957 flu right? 1957 flu, uh, in a country with only half the population of ours had about 120,000 American deaths. So that was a really, really rough one. Uh, and if you ask, like my parents don't remember it because they just went about their business as normal. No, No one made a big deal about it. So it really hinges on, you know, what voices are being platformed versus not platformed. Um, when it comes to this disease, to, to answer you know your main question there, I mean this is a respiratory illness that is obviously different from influenza. It's a coronavirus, so it's not an influenza type virus. However, it does seem to spread in many ways similarly to uh, influenza because they're both respiratory viruses. Uh, the survival rate seems to be excellent uh, for everyone except uh, very old people which does make it uh, different from influenza in that influenza will kill. Influenza actually kills a lot of children um, and a lot of children have a really tough time with it. Thankfully the SARS-2 virus, which is the virus that causes the SARS-2 is the coronavirus that causes COVID doesn't seem to impact children all that severely. Um, it also, you know, there are, despite what I just said, there are young people that are going to get it and for a variety of different reasons are just going to die or have a really tough time with it. Um, but it's also important to keep in mind that that happens every cold and flu season as well. Um, that every single year, there are there are young school teachers that die of influenza during uh, flu season that they catch from their kids. It happens every single flu season. And I don't mean to minimize that, but I think it's important to keep in mind for comparative purpose here that that happens same thing with norovirus in schools every single uh every single daycare has had at least you know at least once a year they have norovirus rip through the daycare and very often that kid brings norovirus to a grandparent and the grandparent has a heart attack or something as a result of it that happens that's we've up to now just sort of accepted that as part of normal everyday life part of human living so to speak um, but that's kind of been thrown out the window, you know, very recently in terms of um, the disease itself. In terms of masks, as to why that hasn't been something that's been recommended in prior pandemics in the United States, um, we, there's – so with masks, I think it's really important to keep in mind – that there are masks and there are respirators uh, and, and those are two very very different things so a mask is what they're telling us to wear that could be a cloth mask or a surgical mask etc a respirator would be like an n95 or a p100 uh, which they're actually not telling people to wear right now so when it comes to a mask the purpose of that is very different from a respirator the idea behind masking is not that i'm going to be pre- and we even mainstream sources will tell you this the purpose behind masking is not that I'm protecting myself from the virus. It's a source control mechanism, meaning that I'm infe- if I'm infected with the virus and because I'm very mildly symptomatic, I don't know that I'm infected with the virus or maybe I'm just, you know, don't care, uh, that will supposedly prevent my droplets from spreading when I speak or breathe, etc., and then other people from inhaling those droplets and becoming infected. Now, here's a problem with that idea. There was about 30 years of research on masks as a method of source control. Uh, and the, the research on this topic was mostly performed with surgical masks, which no one would deny are far more effective than cloth masks at source control, right? So this is like, you know, when you're talking about a, something that's not a respirator, a surgical mask is pretty much the gold standard. And re, in a replicable way, that research has shown that there is not even a benefit for surgeons to wear surgical masks to the patient when performing surgery on an open wound. So let me repeat that. The literature, the, the bulk of the literature shows that there is no difference. If I'm performing surgery and my face is like inches from someone's chest cavity, right, there's in fact no benefit to me wearing a surgical mask to prevent me from breathing into this open wound in their weakened state. Um, the, the, the biggest and most famous study on point with regard to that was from 81 and basically a bunch of physicians in the UK there said, Hey, we're just not going to wear masks when we do surgery for the next, uh, I think they did it for six months. So this was many physicians over six months. I'm sure they did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of surgeries and they found no benefit to the masking. And that's not uh, that's not a one time study that's been replicated over the years, repeatedly, over and over and over and over and over again. Many of those studies even end with the conclusion that that masking for surgeons should just be ended. Um, Surgeons are you'll find are actually pretty aware of this body of literature, Uh, and the reason that they continue to wear masks despite it isn't even really for source control. It it seems to be, and I'm not a surgeon. So, you know, talk to a surgeon about this, but it seems to be that most surgeons do it either because their job wants them to, or even if they are in a position at the hospital where they're able to set policy, um, they just kind of decide that there doesn't seem to be a downside to it, and it actually protects them from, for lack of a better term, I'll use an unscientific term, you know, gnarly stuff splashing out into their nose and mouth, right, like blood, guts, you know what I mean, stuff like that. There seems to be extremely little benefit, well, actually no benefit at all to source control for respiratory transmission of viruses. Now, of course, those studies aren't COVID specific, but COVID's not like a new type of virus. It is a novel virus itself, but coronaviruses have been infecting humans for, I think, millennia. Uh, And, you know, so this this is not new in that regard. On the flip side, you've got respirators, right? Which those serve an entirely different purpose. A respirator is meant to protect me as the wearer from inhaling, um, you know, uh, from inhaling viruses, essentially, whether those be droplets or aerosolized virus. Um, A respirator is undoubtedly effective uh, at protecting you from COVID. That's what you know, that's what people that work in COVID wards wear, right? You know, you know if, if you have a properly fitted respirator, you could intubate a COVID patient who would spit on you and theoretically your chance of infection should be low.
2: Does that look like a gas mask or does that look like a, a surgical mask?
0: So it depends. An N95 respirator, which is what hospitals typically use because it's disposable, looks sort of like a surgical mask, but different. It has a tight seal around the face, but it is made of a paper-like material like a surgical mask. They're typically white. They're not blue or pink like a surgical mask, and they don't have the folds in them. You will see every now and again someone wearing one of these at the supermarket, and those are disposable masks. People, N95s, people wear them for doing drywall work and stuff too to keep drywall dust out of them. Uh, A P100 is typically a reusable respirator. It's rubber, and it has a replaceable filter. Um, people use that for various types of construction as well. They don't use those in hospitals only because they're not disposable, but if you're an at-risk person, that's actually a really good option for you because the filter in a P100 mask is gonna last you for years if you're not using it for you know, drywall work or other types of work that are gonna clog it up. Which, you know, if, we really, if masking regulations were really about, and we can talk about what I think they're really about mm-hmm. when we get to that, but if they were really about protecting people, what you would do is not you would not push for universal uh, surgical masking or even worse, cloth masking, because that cloth masking is kind of ridiculous in that at best it is as effective as a surgical mask. And it potentially, because it's more porous than a surgical mask, might be aerosolizing uh, droplets. And it's thought right now, at least, that COVID can spread via aerosols. So aerosolizing droplets would, in fact, make it more infectious in an indoor setting because it would hover in the air longer. So if you actually cared about protecting at-risk people, because that's the thing we always get right in, uh, in the media is like, oh, well, you know, if you don't wear a mask, you know, you're, you don't have any concern about protecting at-risk people. If you, comp- if you cared about protecting at-risk people, what we would have done is sent everybody a reusable p100 respirator they're cheap they're like under twenty dollars right they're rubber if you have one it's going to last you the entire pandemic so we just would have sent at-risk people a p100 respirator and let everyone else handle their business if they got it they got it if they didn't they didn't Um, that's a decision that you know they would make based on their own risk profile and the at-risk people would be much better protected i mean a p100 respirator Like I said, you could wear that to intubate an active COVID, uh, a patient with an active COVID infection, and you would probably be okay, uh, you know, not be infected. That's how protective these things are. Now, skeptics will say this is, like, really stupid. Um, Skeptics will say that normies are such morons that they don't know how to get a tight seal around the mouth with the P100 respirator. By the way, I've worn a P100, Early on in the pandemic, when I was more concerned about it, it's also more comfortable to wear, frankly, than a surgical mask or a cloth mask because it has an exhaust valve um, for your breath when it goes out. So, you know, the, you'll hear sometimes normies are so stupid they'll never know how to put one on correctly. You just tighten the strap, man. I mean, it's it's not that big a deal. It is true that if it's not specifically fitted for you. Uh, You know that the seal might be imperfect enough. Again, that if you intubated an active COVID patient and they literally spit all over your face, that that might not protect you. But that kind, we're 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 getting into gradations of perfection here that aren't relevant to someone walking around a supermarket. Um, It's just that's sort of a ridiculous argument out of outside of a hospital setting. So that's that's uh, that's that was a long talk there. That's the. That's my answer to that initial question.
1: that last part's a good point. We're, talk, we''re talking about worrying about levels of risk that's not reasonable, and I said this when we talked briefly about this on the live stream if if you know if every time you started your car, a little thing popped up on your dash that told you this is the percentage of chance you have of dying you know if you travel thirty miles, people would think differently when they got in their car, right. 't about you don't think about the, the chance that you have of dying in a car accident when you get in your car unless you're like a neurotic person. And we didn't think about the risk that flu had for the general population until very, very recently. I mean you if you, if you uh, were around old people or someone who was immunocompromised, you would but normal people didn't think about the flu as something incredibly dangerous. It was like something, it was something you got that was annoying. you stayed home, you watched the prices right, you drank some orange juice. What about your day? But we went from that to, well, any any risk at all becoming infected infected with the virus is just absolutely uh, intolerable, and we have to rearrange everything in society around making sure that no one ever gets infected with this. uh,
0: Yeah, and driving is a really good analogy. Like, and if if anyone out there listening doubts that, go look at the top causes of death for young people in the United States historically. It's auto accidents. (laughs) um like by like a country mile like you're you're you've been driving you know i've been driving for 20 plus years not thinking about it and that's been far more dangerous than any exposure that i might have to the SARS-2 virus i mean that's just that's not even my opinion i mean that's just statistically accurate All right, so we've
1: established that, well, we have, we, we are, we're have. making the claim that the uh, wearing masks doesn't serve the purpose that we're presented with. And I, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, so what purpose do you think it serves, these mask mandates?
0: Well, I mean, my theory on this, and this is where we're going from the science to just me reading the tea leaves, right, uh, is you'll notice masking discourse really picked up Uh, after the Floyd protests because we had a series of events where you had anti-lockdown protests going on and we had a 24-7 news cycle that said like these people are so incredibly irresponsible how could you possibly protest in the middle of the pandemic you're going to kill people and then overnight we had a protest that whether you agree with what was going on there or not you know, the media said was valid and good and everyone should be participating. And there needed to be a way to distinguish those two things, right? Um, And you'll notice that after the first night in Minneapolis, very few people did wear masks. And then the second night and, and nights going forward, you had NGO people out there handing them out for free and i don't think that that was accidental right because the 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 media narrative immediately when that hypocrisy was sort of brought up flipped overnight to well the problem with the lockdown protests is they weren't wearing masks <laughs> but the you know the blm protesters they all wear masks therefore that is a you know that that protest is not nearly as dangerous and that's when the masking discourse really picked up And it sort of, at that point, became a cultural totem. Um, It was a way to to signal what in-group you were a part of. You know what I mean? Much like saying, oh, I love science, is like an in-group signaling thing. It's not really... People that say, I love science, aren't people that are sitting around all day, typically reading scientific studies, right? They are people that uh, are ones that, uh, (laughs) you know, use that as an in-group signal to show, like, I'm a good you know, I'm a good liberal. I'm, you know, I fit in with the regime. You know what I mean? It's like reading the New York Times. It's the same thing. It sort of just shows that, you know, you fit in with that in-group. And I think, you know, these non-respirator masks have sort of created that same in-group signal. Uh, And I I think, I, I mean, I think that's obvious. Even if I'm wrong and they do serve some purpose, I think that it's obvious that they've become a political flashpoint and a uh, and, and a cultural totem and a very useful one for a variety, of, you know, for the reasons I just gave.
1: Well, yeah, because for one thing, there keeps being little mini scandals of all these public figures who are who handing out these mask mandates and stay-at-home orders, and then, you know, they'll be on, caught on camera not wearing a mask and at a party or whatever. And uh, so I, I want to build off of what you said, I like I like the, that that is the genesis. That's a good that's a good thing. And I think that feeds into another aspect of the obsession with masks, which is that all right, so we had this pandemic and we will get into I will later get into what I think drives the 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 continuation of the lockdowns. But let's just say for political reasons you wanted to continue the lockdowns You know, well, we have. I mean, it's it's now December, and they're not going away anytime soon. You want to continue that on, and and we're 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 back in like summer, at the point where people were kind of getting tired of 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 Pod World and you know coming out and protesting and all this stuff. So you need something to to make it. I guess have a demonstrable difference between these two types of protests, but also you need a way to keep people like uh, keep them thinking about. Balo because uh, if if you're doing a lockdowns you're you're still uh, putting restrictions on how many people can be in, in certain stores where you can go what you can do but everybody's just walking around and acting like normal human beings it, it's not gonna work you need something to you need like something well okay we, we, here's here's how we'll protect ourselves while we you know live with the lockdown we'll, we'll, we'll wear the masks
2: a good example uh, to jump in here is uh so yesterday uh, i believe it's yesterday uh gavin newsom just announced a statewide lockdown uh most restrictive order since the start of it. it mandated closures for business you can't gather outside your household and this will be for at least three weeks i mean you, this is a they'll arrest you if you uh, if you're running around and you don't have your paperwork's done in line right
0: Unless you work for the movie industry. Yeah, and you need and, – and you couldn't get away with that So it, because you got to let people go to the supermarket, right? So – or the pharmacy, places like that. So if you were letting people go to the supermarket and the pharmacy and everything looked normal in there, like it's just human nature. People aren't going to take the rest of it as seriously. But if you're going to medicalize – essentially, you're visually medicalizing the supermarket, the you know the pharmacy, these places that people go day to day – and by visually medicalizing the world that way, you're making it impossible for them to forget about it. You're, it's, a, it's a persistent, constant reminder to them that they need to be afraid of this sort of virus that's floating around and that they can't have any sort of a normal life. Um, the one other point that I wanted to make, and I know this is something you've mentioned to Merrick uh, many times, is regarding the masking. There are a fairly significant group of people that just like it. Um, because it's, you know, to me, the wearing it is very sort of atomizing, right? Like you go, like when I go to the store and I'm talking to the cashier or whatever, um, you know, we're not seeing each other's facial expressions. We're in a medicalized, sterile environment. We're not, we're not interacting the way that two normal human beings would, Right. And that's an even more extreme in situations where, I mean, there are some people that are wearing these things around their family and stuff, Uh, you know, so that's an even more extreme example of this. And there are definitely just a certain group of people that like that. Um, I remember that precedent for that in Japan. Yeah, I, I remember back in like May or June, I read an article and I don't remember where right now with a woman who said. Oh, masks are great because before I had to wear a mask. Sometimes just guys would come up to me and try to, you know, talk to me and ask me if I wanted to go out on a date. But no one does that anymore. Everybody keeps their distance from each other, and that's wonderful. I don't have to interact with people in public anymore. Um, you know, and and the point that article went in a lot of different directions. It eventually, went, eventually went on to say like all. You know, dating interactions should be mediated by an app on a phone so that I can get a full background picture of someone before I (laughs) show up. Yeah, I swear to God.
1: Look, every human interaction should go through a a fucking Silicon Valley uh, middleman so we can sell you advertisements, we can take your private data and all this. That's just how we need to conduct all of our business, right?
2: Yeah. The new premium, it has a computer AI algorithm that'll estimate
0: the gentleman's height. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that is a big thing on those apps man For, i mean i'm most people by now have used them but the the girls that put on there like uh six foot uh, under six foot swipe left right yeah
1: he's a lengthlet like, he's six foot three you can't you can't talk
0: yeah i mean i you know i'm i'm ai am a tinder six foot you know i'm five foot eleven which is a tinder six foot it's close enough so
1: hell yeah we're rounding up here
0: the idea that these people
2: sitting in their house, you know, surrounded by old Chinese food and cat droppings would kick a guy out because he's 5'11 and a half. It's just ridiculous. This is the, the uh, but anyways.
1: Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. The cat droppings thing got me. <laughs> uh, um... <laughs> okay. We were, <laughs> so right Okay, well, Silicon. I brought up Silicon Valley. That's important because I think this is to go. Let me. Let me. Shoot, let me. We'll cut this part. So let's go back to the start of what Jeff said, and uh, he said this is not a, a conspiracy of people sitting around, you know, a, a table, you know, stroking a cat, making evil plans. And I agree with him on that. I think here's what I think would happen, and this is me just being entirely full of shit. I think that uh whatever happened in China really did panic some people the the virus spread and there was a, I think there was a genuine panic by everyone at first and then after a while it became clear that well it's not as bad as we thought it was however all these restrictions that we put in place they were really they're really awesome uh, they're good for us they're good for the people that we like and they hurt the people we don't like maybe we should just keep doing it and I, the best comparison I can think of is like say two thousand and one and terrorism. Like terrorism is a real thing. People people who died in the World Trade Center—they really dead. Like it wasn't a CGI thing. It happened. However, the reaction to it and the way they encouraged people to think about terrorism—for example—I live in the you know live in the middle of nowhere, and people here were like do you think the terrorists might blow up the mall? No, I don't think they're going to blow up the mall in fucking Broadway, Virginia. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Al-Qaeda's got us on the radar. And you're not going to die going to the supermarket. However, if you can convince people that the restrictions that you're going to put on them are are, are for their own benefit, let's say recording all their phone calls, uh, spying on them in general... Uh, when you go to the airport, people get to pat you down and uh, look at you with an X ray machine. That stuff didn't go away, and we all like we all collectively now know that was. Those stupid.
2: guys have a union now, by the way.
1: Yeah, we all collectively know that was bullshit now, but it didn't matter. And, and it, it, this is the same way they they felt well, this is really this is actually working out great for us. And you you might say why the GDP crashed, blah blah blah. Okay, what about Jeff Bezos? He just every day this goes on. His mark he's getting more and more of the market share. You're taking all this money that, you know, the the, the little the little chicken uh, restaurant that's like privately owned, you know, a mile or two away from my house. You can't buy stock for them on the market. They're not they're not a publicly traded company. It's it's a it's a lady and her husband. If they go out of business and they get replaced by KFC, well you could see how that could be beneficial for some people right even if it's a, if it's a net loss for the community hey now you've put you put money into the market you you also have like uh, you know the KFC can okay better example when you go to the fucking grocery store now if you go to a chain grocery store and you use and you use your like a debit card or whatever uh, they know everything that you buy you can you can look online. They'll have a pretty much have a record of your purchases, especially if you sign up for any of their rewards programs or whatever. That's a shitload of data that they have about you and your life that they got for free. Uh, so, so uh, mom and pop stores don't have the infrastructure for this. They don't. They're not publicly traded. They're not doing anything that helps helps any political constituency for the people who are most in favor of the lockdowns. And that right there is a, it may be a cons- conspiratorial answer, but it's not an outlandish conspiracy, especially if you're like a, a, a political dissident, like left no, or right. I no, mean,
0: it's, it's not even that conspiratorial if you think about it this way. So the reason I was worried about it in the beginning, right, is because I looked at it the same way that I think everybody in charge looked at it, and that they were like, well, we can't let anything... Uh, Impair free movement of labor and capital. So we, uh, we got to tell people this is no big deal. We'll throw them in the wood chipper or whatever. And I think that they basically stumbled into this in that yeah. things just got scary enough based on the news that we were getting um, that they had to do something for a while. And then when that initial period ended, like you said, I think they were kind of like, oh, damn, we figured out that this is a way we can basically liquidate all the kulaks, right? Yeah. And just funnel their capital upwards, Um, which is, uh, I mean, that's a long-term political project. I mean, I'll be a little partisan here. I mean, that's just a, that's a long-term political project of the Democratic Party, right? I mean, that's just, that's who they, and that's not, that's just who they represent. Like, if you look at, uh, just publicly available data on that. Yeah, so, being
1: generous since 1980, that has been their
0: program. Yeah, right, exactly. So I, it, it became apparent to them, I think, that they stumbled into kind of a goldmine here, right? And that they had a way to fan the flames here by talking about things like, well, uh, hospital capacity, which is, that's a good example of uh, who you platform issue and how you frame the issue. So we hear a lot about hospital capacity, but usually what those reports don't mention is hospitals, being, a sent, being for-profit entities or even the few nonprofit ones still remaining or still are basically operated in a for-profit way, they seek to keep their beds at like at least 75% capacity. Um, they don't want a lot of excess beds laying around. And it's extremely normal for them during cold and flu season to approach or even reach 100% capacity. Um, And most of these hospitals have the ability to, they have what's called flex capacity to go up to 150% capacity. Some hospitals can even go to 200% capacity, right? So when a lot of these hospital capacity, you know, um, concerns come up, I think you really have to sort of keep that context in mind. That And even in places which are rare where there are legitimate capacity issues that aren't just a matter of, you know, lacking perspective, um, you know, a lot of those same places have had huge decreases over the past 20 years in bed capacity due to mergers for profitability purposes. So even if capacity were an issue, which I don't think it's nearly as big an issue as made out to be for the reasons that I gave, the answer to that is just to build more beds. Um, It's not to, you know shut off the world that's to increase capacity which can be done pretty quickly i mean temporary covid wards are not that difficult to build they can be done pretty quickly um and in a flexible way because in fact they did them in new york. they didn't end up needing them but they did them in new york and new jersey uh back in april they all actually went up essentially unused um so you know that's i think it, it's important to keep in mind these ideas actually one other thing just to go back to capacity slight tangent but i want to mention the only capacity i've uh, issue i've seen that doesn't seem to suffer from a lack of perspective is actually the texas border zone um and that's kind of a a unique situation because it's my understanding of that situation and i'm not down in texas is that's driven predominantly by the fact that in northern mexico there are a huge number of dual citizens uh, and when they get sick, they return to the U.S. for care. Which I mean, they're entitled to do that. They're citizens of the United States. I'm not criticizing that, but you know, that's a unique situation down there that needs to be dealt with due to the uniqueness of that situation. I think almost all of the hospital capacity issues that we're seeing nationally really aren't that big an issue. Or if they, even if they are, these mitigation strategies that we've done really don't seem to make much of a difference, right? We don't. There aren't people. Dying on the sidewalk out in front of the hospital in Georgia and Florida, where they're not really yeah, doing just this the stuff. opposite. Uh, yes, I, I, exactly. The,
1: you know, New York and New Jersey have the worst fucking mortality rate for, cut for for bat flu anybody. And you know, this is let me just say something vulgar, but it's true. Maybe not as vulgar as cat droppings, but uh, that you know, isn't it kind of coincidental that the the prescriptive behaviors, um, prescriptive, not proscriptive, like the behaviors they want you to do, are kind of like pod. Pod world isn't a new idea. That's they've been. Yeah, there have been hot takes about this for for years. Like, you know, hey, you should actually you should stay inside. You should watch Netflix. You should order food and have it brought to you. You should you should you know date people through through your phone. You should you should you know you go to a Zoom nightclub. You should do all this shit. For, for some reason. We're told that, like, this is now the not just a, hey, wouldn't this be a fun way to live? This is the only moral way to live.
0: Yeah, right. Very and the coincident. people that are platforming those voices are the same people that, that profit from that, right? So, like, you know, Twitter determines when to ban someone for spreading, you know, quote-unquote COVID misinformation. I mean, the most insane example of that was... So you've probably heard in the news a lot, Scott Atlas, right? So he is a physician. He was on the faculty at Stanford Medical School for years, but you would never know that because when the media reports on him, they just report that he's a fellow at the Hoover Institute, which is true. Except that but you're leaving out the point that before he retired, uh, he was actually on the medical school staff at Stanford, right? I mean, this guy's like not some whack job, Uh and he, and he, in fact, by definition, is a, or was, he recently gave up his position, but until recently was, by definition, a COVID expert by virtue of the fact that he sat on the government's coronavirus task force. And Twitter still censored him for information that he published on Twitter <laughs> regarding the efficacy of masks, because they choose which physicians... Uh, You know, positions on masking are the correct, you know, non misinformation positions. Not even the federal government of the United States does right. I mean, literally, the Twitter is the one that 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 chose that. And that's you know, the always to keep that. Another thing related to this is a lot of the physicians that fill these government roles, like if you're head of the CDC or if you're Anthony Fauci, right? Those guys are obviously physicians and experts in their field. But their job is inherently political. It is not medical or scientific. Um, that's, and that's just a fact. I mean, the way you get to those positions is not by being some great scientist. You get that position by uh, playing the politics game right. So they're going to play the politics game. In term, I'm not saying they're going to willfully prevent, send out information that kills people. But if it, you know, if there's anything borderline or anything that they think they can make it work in their favor politically, that's going to be the case. I mean, Fauci is in the WikiLeaks emails, if I remember correctly, congratulating, our, uh, the, I think, the day before the 2016 election, wishing Hillary Clinton well. So, I mean, he's a political guy, um, you know, as is the director of the CDC, I'm sure. It's just the nature of what those guys do for a living. So you have to sort of think about that yeah. when you're thinking about, you know, the recommendations that they're – they're putting out there. Compare
1: China and the United States. You have two countries who have both reacted to the bat flu in a, in a fundamentally dishonest way. China, you know, unless you believe that China has somehow f- figured out a way to change the laws of physics, they lied about how many people got the bat flu in China. They underplayed it. And uh, it turned out that wasn't a problem because it's not as dangerous as people thought. But they made claims about, about their bat flu rate that just, they're just not possible. Uh, they have a political reason to do that whereas on the mm-hmm. other hand look at California well they're doing the opposite they, they're going to inflate the risk of this because it benefits them to, to it benefits China to go right back to the way they were doing things yet to, you know the day before it benefits Gavin Newsom and the people he represent to make sure to squash every last bit of as you said before the cool uh, lock business and you could take that you could take that money. You can and you can redistribute it to your clients. That's
0: right. You distribute it to the people that donate to your campaign, not the not the people that donate to the other guy's campaign. And, right? And I, it, yeah. Yes.
1: If if and if and you know if that's not enough for some for people, and it should be because hey, we're all about material interest, right? But, like, there are huge political advantages to this. If you are a, I guess we call like a, a legacy political party ideology. So like the Democratic Party. Uh, has benefited from from the lockdown. And if you're in, let's say, Europe, if you were like one of the old Social Democrat parties that were having rough times in the past decade, hey, the lockdowns have been great for them. They have had their popularity rebound. The populist parties have lost ground. They've Mm -hmm. had all these restrictions that, obviously, the people hate because they keep having these massive demonstrations in Germany and France, but it's it's great for the people who actually run this country, and it's great for the techno. Like we we talk about the techno, or I talk about the technocracy a lot, and all that is is it's you know essentially ruled by bureaucrats. And what better way could you move power away from elected officials to bureaucrats than with the like with this pandemic stuff? Because hey, you literally have to listen to the experts, and who yeah, are I mean, the arg- experts?
0: Arg- what Ar- jugger- F- in new jersey here and i gotta say the what in new jersey we're not nearly as we're actually not even that bad comparative to most states any a lot of states at least anywhere we're not great in great shape like georgia and florida but we're certainly nowhere near the level of new york or california um with regard to this stuff uh and the thing that our governor says constantly is like oh i don't you know these decisions are just sort of put on me by the experts. I just listen to the experts. I just listen to the science. I listen to the experts. You know, this isn't like, these aren't things that I want to do. That's every press conference. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly.
1: I I would love, I, I'd love to do what you guys elected me to do, but I can't do that because, you know, the, the, uh, we, we cut open the goat and the intro said it's a bad time to do business outdoors, so.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's basically what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think what I'm about to say now, I don't think is the primary motivator. I think it's like a secondary or tertiary motivator. There is also just the idea that um, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. However, it's definitely true that this vaccine is is a financial bonanza for the pharmaceutical companies, right? They got like a ton of money to develop it. They're going to be able to give it to all these people. And the more people they get to take this thing, the more money they make, right? And the more you scare people with lockdowns and masks and things like that, the more people are voluntarily going to go and take this thing. Um, So I think that's part of it too. I mean, a lot of the government scientists, I believe, even have the interests in some of the patents involved in this stuff. Um, So (laughs) I, I certainly don't believe that is the primary Driving factor that's, dri- that's driving this reaction. I think everything that we just spoke about before is, uh, but I mean that is something that's out there, and I say that as a, I mean I get the flu shot every year. I don't, yeah, you know I'm not like it, an anti-vaccine. Person.
1: I, I know why you're doing these disclaimers, and I and I would too. But it's funny because you know just a few years ago, the same people who were saying that the pharmaceutical and healthcare industries basically. Uh, ran the United States Senate and were fucking our lives up on purpose with regards to health care reform would now like say that you're insane for saying this.
0: It, w- right, and I'll give you another exa- really good example of this. The, in the literature that I've seen, which is still preliminary, right, but the most effective treatment that I've seen by far for COVID um, is ivermectin, uh, which is a really common, very inexpensive generic drug it yeah. is approved for humans in the U.S., but it's actually more commonly used uh, for veterinary purposes in yeah. the U.S. Horses uh, use it, uh, it a lot. Yeah. So the ivermectin, we don't hear about, we don't hear jack shit about that ever. You know what I mean? And most of the studies on it aren't even U.S. studies. Why is that? Well, it's because you can't patent it because eh, it's been around forever, and you're not going to make a lot of money on selling it. Right? Instead. What, they're, what the primary treatment that they're giving people right now is remdesivir, which does not seem very effective at all. Um, the literature on that is very mixed and not all that positive. But remdesivir is a very expensive patented drug that was developed for a different disease. So they already spent all R and D on it, and it was a loss. It was a total waste because it didn't. I, now it's my my mind's blanking on what that was originally developed for, but it doesn't matter.
2: Drugs were initially developed for uh, male pattern baldness and uh, erectile dysfunction.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it didn't pan out for its original <laughs> purpose. So basically, that's just a, a bonanza for the company that makes Remdesivir, Right, that's like a profit bonanza. Whereas you know nobody's really going to push this ivermectin stuff because uh, there's no way to make money on that. You know, and I, you see that a lot with the COVID stuff. A lot of the interventions that don't have a financial benefit to anyone are ones that, uh, you know, don't really get pushed. And, and it, you know, another good example of that, and I don't think it worked in the end, can, is probably looks like it was that effective. But the, uh, all the hydroxychloroquine uh, controversy, right? Like if you even mention that, hey, maybe we should look up into this hydroxychloroquine thing more. You were just considered an anti-science maniac nut that was killing people. When, in fact, at that time, there was good reason to pursue that further as a possible treatment. The early data looked pretty good on that. Um, And the reason for that just visceral reaction, well, there were two. Number one was the president was a big proponent of it, right? Uh, So it's the typical TDS stuff. But also, secondly, no one was going to make any money on hydroxychloroquine. That drug's been around 100 years uh and they give it to everyone in the third world for uh malaria all the time. So it's like it's like a penny a pill for that thing. So like no no one's interested in pushing that or selling that. We, it's a for-profit healthcare industry. And that you make a good point. The same people right the same people that a year ago, if I had said like, yeah, it's a for-profit healthcare industry, they put you know, I could say something like trite like, you know, they put profits over people, they'd be like, hell yeah. Today, would be like, that's a crazy conspiracy that you think they're not, you know, they're not approving ivermectin because it's cheap and effective and no one can make a lot of money on it.
1: Imagine how much money has changed hands just based on the testing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's another point. I mean, there are that, – that, testing is really interesting because uh, there are a lot of physicians out there – I mean, you can find this stuff – that think – that we just shouldn't test asymptomatic people at all. There are people that think we shouldn't test anyone unless they're admitted to the hospital with COVID like symptoms. But again, if you say that, that's considered crazy conspiracy stuff. The voices that get platformed are the ones that want widespread universal testing all over the place, despite the fact that PCR testing, you know, in the words of the guy that invented PCR testing, is not really well suited for this. It has a very high false positive rate. Um, and you can frankly make PCR testing, say whatever the hell you want, based on the number of amplification cycles that you put the sample through. Uh, and in the U S we use a level of amplification that, you know, unsurprisingly is really high. Governor DeSantis in Florida has finally caught on to this and has started telling labs, when you report us, you know, COVID testing data, we're only taking it if you, along with the data, report the number of amplification cycles that you've used in the PCR test. Um, To my knowledge, Florida is the only state that requires that, which is interesting because that's really important information. I mean, if you use enough PCR cycles, because we're all exposed to this thing, unless you haven't left your house, you know, you can eventually amplify the level of virus enough to to yield a positive.
1: Yeah, I knew somebody who they were reported like they got 80% negative and they didn't understand what that came from. And that's, that basically explains that, right? Yeah, essentially. Right. Exactly.
0: It's just, you know, there was probably some trace of virus in the sample, but that doesn't mean that you were infected with it. Right. Uh, You could have had just dead virus floating around. You, you know, that your T you could have had a very low exposure that your T cells took up, took care of immediately with no symptoms. Which means that you were never infectious at any point, and there was just some low level of virus that got amplified. Yeah.
2: Ugh, I'm scared what they would find if they started digging around in- him. <laughs> <No, boy. laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd like to say one last thing about this, and it's kind of a, me- a meta comment about whenever I will say stuff about the bat flu, and I'm I am clearly not a doctor. I don't know shit about the science. I, all I know is like the observable things that happen in our in the United States with regards to politics and control of people etc when when says like oh do you think this is the, the things fake you think that uh, you don't believe the experts no i i, I never I, I don't believe experts about almost anything anymore and there's a good reason for that and we've seen it especially since the election they were pretty open about it Oh, uh, the experts are basically defined as whatever the New York Times says is true, and no, I don't accept that as as the gospel truth. I, I think that there are certain situations where it's like, okay, well, it's it's in their best interest to be one hundred percent accurate about whatever, and then like, okay, I'll yeah, i believe that, but uh, if if there's any doubt, no, I I I just I won't take their word for it, and I. I I think that we're all going to look back on the bat flu eventually, the way we look back on the early two thousands when people were scared about scared about terrorism. You know, the the Iraq War when it started was a popular war. There were a lot there were protests, but like the majority of the public went along with it, and that's not like that's not a knock on people because we're, we 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 listen we generally want to listen to people in authority. We think that they have our best interests at heart. Like deep down, people, you, you, people deep down, we are all about hierarchies. Uh, but then, after a while, that fades away. They can't keep they can't keep amplifying it forever, and they'll stop once it's not important anymore. And then we'll all go back and like, oh yeah, I guess we did get a little bit too crazy with the lockdowns. But by that point, we you, know, you, you can't unkill those businesses, and you know, probably not not probably definitely more importantly than that. This is going to fuck up the development of a lot of young children. Yeah. Terribly. The, the 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 schooling, the online schooling, it's not, not as good for them. They're not being able to interact with their peers properly. We're all walking around with masks. We're not having conversations with people like normal human beings. They're encouraging some people... To just plain be antisocial, like the lady in the article. And then some people who are already neurotic, they're scared to leave their house they're terrified of everything. That's not healthy. And we're going to look back on this as a very uh, silly reaction, but I'm afraid that we're probably also going to look back on it in a way we don't with the war on terror. It's like, this really fucked things up for us in a way that we can't fix. You know, you could the the things that happened after 2001 you know you, we could we could have repaired that in a, you know a decade uh, you're this is going to cause permanent side effects to people emotionally uh, mentally and definitely financially
0: i just want to make a couple points about that cuz that was that was really good um one was when it comes to trusting experts what i always say is like cuz i'm not a doctor either right or or a medical researcher it's a matter, it's, I trust the experts, it's just a matter of which experts. I just don't always happen to trust the experts that are platformed. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. The uh, great example is like John What it, it was considered before this pandemic, uh, absolutely universally an expert in this field. But he just, and he was also on the Stanford University medical Facts faculty, but he just wasn't platformed. You know what I mean? In fact, uh, his talks were, Uh, when the topic were uh, taken down from YouTube. So, you know, that's really, really the issue there. And then the second point that I want to make is, you're right, the the thing that makes me the angriest about this is not how it affects my day-to-day life. It's actually how it affects uh, my niece and nephew and how it affects their day-to-day life. Because it's not fair to them. They're not getting regular social development because of this. Uh, And that's just... That's just really messed up. I mean, you know, one of the worst reactions I've seen on Twitter, and that's saying something, I suppose, uh, in all of the years that I've been on it, is like when I posted stuff about saying how like, you know, universal masking, I'll say this again. I think universal masking, considering it, especially considering its lack of efficacy, is inhumane. I I think it's inhumane to remove people's general nonverbal communication in that way, particularly for children. And I got a lot of, so I I got two, uh, you know, different types of criticism from that. The sort of left liberals would say, like, oh no, what they would just give the more trite uh, answer, which is, oh no, what's inhumane is not caring about your grandma. You know what I mean? That's stupidity. That doesn't even really bother. That's just dumb. Who cares? um the the one that's more interesting is I've seen among like actual actual leftists, so not left liberals, but what we would what people listening to this podcast would consider actual leftists, sort of two camps. Number one, are, there are a really large number, I think, that are sort of in the camp that we are that are talking right now. We're somewhat not necessarily agreeing with everything we say, maybe somewhere adjacent to it, or even if they think the virus is more deadly than I do, they still definitely agree that the way that we've attempted to mitigate it uh, has not been in the public's interest, right? Or I've seen the other group, and There's there's a second group, that has basically taken the opinion that, oh, that's nuts. You can't possibly think that capital would want like to mitigate this. They would <laughs> want you know everything to rip through. And because the, all they're interested about is the total level of capital. They would never destroy capital, completely ignoring the fact that they, they'll happily destroy capital if it funnels it from other people up to them. Yeah, no but shit. That that should the, be common sense. Yeah. Right. That aside, that group's reaction to me when I say talk about the dehumanizing aspects of it is always like, "Oh, you're a giant pussy." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "Well, yeah, okay. So, I'm like the pussy because like I want to have like a social life and leave my house and shit. Apparently, like, you know, that makes me a pussy and shit and caring <laughs> about how, you know, kids interact with each other socially. You know what I mean? Like, that's a really twisted, bizarre way, I, I, I think, to... It's to think projection. It. Yeah, people, I think...
1: It's people who are scared to get outside. Like that's, that's People Christian. that
0: are scared or people who, unfortunately, and I kind of feel bad for them in this way, had sad uh, social and interpersonal lives to begin with. So it's like a misery loves company situation. Now everybody has to live the way that I do. You know what I mean? So I think there's definitely an aspect of that as well. It, with the doctors thing so uh one of the things about
2: that well what do the doctors say so uh i know someone that's that's a it's a uh an expert biologist and there's two things i i know about them that, that i think illuminates this a little bit so they told me about being offered a, a prestigious job that was that would say so they they spend all day with a with a uh, pipette in a laboratory doing science stuff right um i i i, I scanned over like uh, a paper of their of their work and i couldn't understand any of it it was just way too complicated and, and they, they told me that was kind of how it goes like uh uh, uh you know, there's like seven people that can understand what they do because everything gets so specialized. But anyways, and so, but they were offered a, a prestigious job in what you'd call epidemiology, which is where now you've you've gone from science to the Fauci role, right? Right. And the job interview was political questions. This was someone that was all they knew was the science stuff. They didn't know any of these politicals. They didn't know who. They didn't know who was in the Supreme Court. They didn't know who the Vice President was. This was someone that was like their their whole life is engulfed in their science work, and they were pa- and they were passed over. Uh, you can do the math there. Now, okay, so let's look at. So, what do the doctors say? Okay, if you know these people and you you know about these, like how this medical research works. Um medical research is the primary job of a medical researcher is to get grants. And that and it's like the, the guys uh like the power bases of this kind of stuff it, it's 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 these these guys they become little moguls of getting of getting, uh, of getting grants. And so, like, it's not like, well, all the doctors sort of look at the same paperwork. No, it's like, there's like, there's like a guy in San Diego, there's like a guy in Boston, and there's another guy that like actually get enough money to like look into this kind of stuff. And all that money that they get is, extremely uh uh politically uh uh motivated uh i know i know someone that worked in this line of business doing medical research uh when trump was elected they said their boss said hey everybody take a week off to grieve and i was like well that's great i was like these people care about politics." they're like no 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 they're like we're just gonna lose a shitload of grants because the republican guys in office Right. And so all this, it takes a shitload of money to, so, um, wherever you need like a shitload of money and you don't have like a business to sell stuff, like people just hand you money. Um, now you're, you're at the, the the best of these politicians. One of the, the interesting sort of things that this, this opens up, I think is, um, uh, so most of this stuff in terms of the patronage is very clear. Uh, uh, I think uh, there, 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 there's, but there's, there's two, two little uh, anomalies I see. So one anomaly I see on the right. So on the right, you got, the, you got the kulaks, right? And you got the, 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 um, the people that are against the, uh, 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 people that are skeptical about um, uh, vaccines, whatever. Uh, I've never been one, but I know some people like that. And everyone I know that's like that has been like. Um, yeah, I'm a skept- I'm a vaccine skeptic, but I just want this vaccine to hurry up and get here because uh, you know we're being economically destroyed. Uh, that has that has changed the minds of a lot of those people. I don't know. I'm sure it's not all of them.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right.
1: I have a quick question for you, uh, for either one of you, and just yes or no answer. Epidemiology that relies on uh, computer models, right? Uh,
2: I mean, not necessarily, but yes. Yeah. All right.
1: And I, I'm not going to open the can of worms too far, but this is the problem with these these uh, when you have when you're building social policy based on computer models. So whatever information you plug into the computer decides what uh, that that's really going to be the deciding factor. Like if, if hey we, we here's an easier to understand example. We just had an election, right? And in the election uh, the polling was based on was based on these kind of models that pr- try to predict what people were going to do based on blah blah blah. Uh, they were fucking way wrong. How does that keep, that happened in 2016 too. How does that keep happening? Well, you plug in information and it spits out the thing, it spits out basically what you wanted to tell it, what you want to tell you.
2: We've, that, we, I mean, the simplest example, so that that goes bipartisan. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious that even many Republican governments, uh, they reported higher than were actually true uh, COVID deaths because you got, you got a spiff from Medicare for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, applies other things too and if your model says that uh, 50 million people are going to die from the thing then you're not necessarily lying the the model does say that but you just put you plugged in numbers to the model that might not conform to reality
0: I'll give you an an example of that that's real recent. So the CDC model to show how many excess deaths have happened because of COVID, which is not, so in other words, not people that were confirmed dead because of COVID, but the number of people that died Versus the number of people we would have expected to die during 2020, right? Uh, just all comparing all-cause mortality to all-cause mortality. And they found about 300,000 excess deaths. Well, the problem with that model is its baseline number that it used was an average of the past few years. Well, that's a problem because every year for the past few years, deaths have been trending upwards for a variety of reasons. So by taking that average... They're operating on the assumption that deaths would have actually fell in 2020 as opposed to 2019 when that was clearly not the trend, right? So that's just one, you know, very simple, very easy to digest example of how that modeling could work. Where there was the computer model from the UK that scared everybody back in March that really spurred most of these lockdowns. Which just seemed to be incompetence in the end, right? It, it was an un, it, was like some, it was like unannotated code when they went yeah. back and looked at it, and it, it produced different results with the same data if you ran it more than once. And that was the model that showed that millions were going to die, which clearly, no matter what you did, there weren't going to be millions of, of uh, Americans... <laughs> you know, dying of this disease.
1: Maybe I'm thinking of a different thing, but I, I I think it was the same model. Wasn't it, uh, produced by a company that had not been doing anything related to that until very recently. Like it was a small new company.
0: No, it was a guy at, it was a guy at a university in the UK who I, I forget his name is escaping me right now, but he ironically got caught a couple months later, breaking lockdown to see his girlfriend.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Remember,
0: the same gag happened with the start of austerity. It
2: was based on a computer model. Yeah, they said, "Well, the computer model was broke," and they're like, "Yeah, well, we don't care. We've already, uh, we, we 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 like this anyways."
1: Yeah, it was a, it literally an Excel spreadsheet that had the wrong numbers in it. But that, that that's what that, that's my point. And uh, people people would people would talk about this after after the bat flu has gone. We're still going to be talking about lockdown like policies but it's going to be for climate change this time and i hate to tell i hate telling listening to this you know i'm not saying that the 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 temperature's not going up i'm not saying that people aren't causing it but i am telling you that all the information that you hear about this like what's going to happen and how, and how soon it's going to happen and we got to do this we got to do that it is based on computer models and you can make those models say whatever the fuck you want and uh there's no money in saying,
0: well, actually, it's not going to be as bad as we thought it was going to be. And some of these people that put this stuff out, not the models we've talked about up until now, but there's a whole class of like what I call quasi-scientists out there, too, like, which are basically the people with public health degrees.
2: Always put Dr. Ph.D. in every fucking <laughs> yes. letter that they possibly have in their Twitter name.
0: Yes. yes. So MPHs, like to me are like they're like the HR like what HR managers are running a business or like what MPHs <laughs> are to like science. Right. They
2: put the stethoscope on and all this bullshit, and, they, and you're like, oh, it's it's doctor color, like, Uta-
0: like a Unitarian priest that wears the vest. Yeah, right? yeah. Or <laughs> well, another guy that's really been elevated as an expert by Twitter on this isn't even an MPH. It's this Do- Dr. Eric Feigl ding. And he <laughs> held himself out as a doctor this whole pandemic. And then like a month ago, finally, somebody realized he'd be in a white coat. He put doctor before his name. He has a PhD in nutrition science, so like this guy isn't. Is that the double mask guy? That's the double mask guy. Yeah, yeah, oh, the fuck guy. Fuck him, dude. And he also listed like Harvard on his thing, and apparently, mm-hmm. like he doesn't he doesn't work for Harvard. I think he like just did like a I don't know. He was there temporarily to give talks or something like that. I don't know, but he. I
2: hated I hated that guy, and the entire time up until five seconds ago, I thought he was like a resident chair of medicine at Harvard Medical. <laughs> yeah, everybody did.
0: Everybody did. But he's still he's allowed to just keep doing just to go back to the platforming thing. Like Twitter never censors that guy. And he no. is clearly not an expert on this by any metric.
2: He's the biggest chicken, little too. We're all going to
0: die. Yep. Yeah. I mean, no matter how, if you're a credentialist, meaning you really highly value these credentials, that guy should be the first guy purged off Twitter for spreading misinformation.
2: <laughs> one of the other ones, I don't know how much there is to discuss this, but it's kind of, it's one of the, so the only reason why it's interesting is because it's one of the only things that doesn't follow these direct my team, your team stuff is the, the school thing. <sighs> Wesley Yang had posted twin takes today that said uh, opening the schools back is racist, not opening schools back is racist. The teachers union is definitely a part of the Democratic Party apparatus. However, I do think they're like one of the only that like it's not like they're gonna go to the Republican Party, but I do think they're one of the only ones threatened by the fact like there are a ton of Democratic politicians who are very open to the idea of uh of uh getting rid of of sort of replacing schools with like a a computer a coke machine a security guard and with that and like khan academy and shit right yeah Yep. because there's so uh, people don't know this so this is one of the big splits between the, the federal and the states right a States are schools and roads that's like 90% of the budget take a ton of the state budget and so it's like it doesn't matter like right now the, the, the teachers union and the democrat party are friends but there's so much money in betraying them yeah that's it, it's always been a possibility and I've seen split takes on whether I know a teacher that like really wants to go back to work and I know teachers that where they say the union's trying to keep them out of work, and uh, it, it, this seems like um uh, this seems like a per- like if I was a if I was a scumbag I would be using this opportunity to try to do the Khan academy thing.
0: Uh, I think that's definitely happening, and I think union leadership with the teachers are playing right into it by refusing to go back to work, and I think there are teachers on the ground that realize this. You know what I mean? But it gives them such a great opportunity to just throw the teachers union under the bus and jump in with the Khan Academy stuff. Mm -hmm. Like what the New York City, I don't know if they're still doing it, but for a while was doing a thing. And I think this could really be the future where with their public schools, let's say they were doing a hybrid, your your particular school in New York was doing a hybrid model, right? Where the kids had uh, two days in person, three days remote learning. Well, what they would do for those three days for people who couldn't watch their kids is you could report to a state run daycare center in like a gym or something with uh, some babysitter making $15 an hour or whatever at most just sitting there making sure none of the kids kill each other and they just watch a Khan Academy simulcast. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, man, that seems like a pretty good model uh, for a lot of people. I I, will be clear. I don't think that's a good model. But I, it seems like the tech companies would like that. It would be very, very, very tempting for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Yeah, because your state and local governments, man, they got to balance budgets. The federal government doesn't have to; they can just print money, right? But your state and local governments got to balance budgets, and it would seem to be easy if you could get rid of all these teacher salaries. You wouldn't, and I'm not even saying they would have to do it as a bloodbath all at once. They could just attrition the teachers out. And do a mixed model over time where that you know, babysitter watching them do Bill Gates' Super Happy Fun Time Academy uh, would take on more and more of the load while the teachers take on less and less. And you'll, I've seen a lot of takes with regard to that. That say how great this is, because supposedly like, oh, while well, kids can learn science from every kid in the country can learn science from one of the nation's <laughs> foremost experts instead yep, of yep. learning it from a science teacher, which is yep. an insane take. If if you think that's what education is about for kids, well, you're nuts. But there that's are, a there, a different okay, discussion. There are
1: three there are three main uh per, there are three Purposes for uh, modern education. Uh, the first one is like you to socializing the kids in an environment, like having them run other kids, and so they don't become fey little monsters. Which is, you know, you can do that yourself by taking them to see other kids and stuff. The second one is uh, educating them enough that they can enter the wage labor force, right? The workforce. Yes, yeah. that, that's another one. And that's the, also you can do. You can do that pretty easily. With whatever. The third one is to inculcate them with. Particular set of values, which right now that works by you send teachers to university and they get uh, they learn the high the the um, what's the what's the Scientologist where like they have like the levels right the The, OT levels right you get the higher OT levels of of (laughs) of the dominant ideology right you can
0: have you can have L Ron Hubbard right give the kids their ideology directly exactly you don't have have any no some of which man. won't believe it. Like some no. of these middlemen go to university, think it's bullshit, and then they don't inculcate the kids well enough or as effectively. Right. Whereas Elron is going to do it directly. You know. Sorry, I hey. cut you off there. No,
1: no, it's exactly um, once again. Yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say. You you can get it straight from the horse's mouth, and, and it's also likely to be a lot
0: cheaper. So hey, it's yeah. I you win. can literally you can literally have Nicole Hannah Jones teach history.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even making that up. That's something you could do. Yeah, uh, fuck you, Jeff.
2: <laughs> I'm getting depressed. Let's talk about Bitcoin, please. <laughs> you do Bitcoin? I, I don't know much. I, I don't know much about Bitcoin. I know that um, I saw someone trying to bust on you on Bitcoin the other day, and I was, I was, I, and the guy was like, "Oh, you believe in all this Bitcoin stuff?" And and like like eleven seconds ago, I had read the headline that uh, that Bitcoin had reached 19 grand. <laughs> and I only knew that number because I remember. Um, I remember uh like it was like last year or six months ago people were really excited that they were like it's it's almost it's almost at ten it's almost at ten it's almost at ten now it's at 19 again i'd like to separate there's two conversations here again there's two conversations so there's like one conversation that's that's big is like bitcoin as like an, an investment widget same thing as like investing in gold or silver and like that eats up a lot of discussion i don't know how qualified a lot of these people that comment on it God, if we start talking about that kind of stuff in the abstract well i know a shitload about that but i don't know nothing about bitcoin right so i know about all about uh, all that, that stuff but i i i separate so but there's that and they're like um, now. but part of that is that it doesn't matter what happens to the value I mean in my opinion unless there's some kind of unless there's some kind of technical problem with it or they could trace it somehow or something if it's 19 grand or if it's a thousand uh, you you can still use it for this this form of uh, transfer that, that's not available with green bags. And I think those are two different – like what it does, its utility and the and the things you can do with it. It's separate from like the gambling thing of people that have no regular other interest. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying no. that it's like two different ca- there's
0: conversations. Really, there's really three, right? So there's the gambling aspect to it, right? Which are usually people that are interested in not only Bitcoin but other types of cryptocurrency. Um, which I'm not even really going to address that because I don't fall into that category. Hey, like, hey, I, I'm but, not interested in cryptocurrency. I'm interested hey, in before Bitcoin. before we go, yes. on, like
1: we should explain. Just I'll, I'll 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 say the like the the bar napkin version. Like Bitcoin is essentially you in you, you It's an encryption system that's like so encrypted that you can use it as a form of currency. It, would that be the idiots? version of what it this is. This is the
0: way I would say it. I mean, it is a, it is an, it is a network. It's a ledger. All it is, it's, it's a file, essentially, if you want to think about it that way. Um, the Bitcoin network is a file that records all the Bitcoin transactions that have ever happened since day one. Okay, And that file is stored on the computer, which is called a Bitcoin node in this case, of anyone that wants to run one. So anybody can run a Bitcoin node, you'll sync to the full transaction history, and then you will be able to monitor out in the open every transaction on the entire network. Um, And through, I won't get into the technical aspects of cryptography, so you'll just have to accept what I'm saying at face value here. But um, it is, um, although anyone can see all the transactions, no one would ever be able to steal your money unless they had something called your private key which is a random number large enough that uh, it's impossible to guess. Uh, Meaning, to give you, for background, the number of possible private key combinations is larger than the number of atoms in the universe. So it's just not it's not something that can be brute forced um, to guess for someone could guess your private key to steal your bitcoin it doesn't But doesn't there's
1: that a way. finite number of bitcoins which is what makes it have value right That's what I was going to get to
0: yes that's that's what makes it have value and that's what makes it sort of ha- be an evolution of gold there's only 21 million bitcoin and there'll only ever be 21 million bitcoin And there's no uh, central
2: authority certifying it basically
0: Correct there is no central authority that certifies it this is an arrangement that's a consensus agreement based, based upon everyone that runs a node. Um, everyone chooses to run a node that runs this specific software that enforces that 21 million Bitcoin cap, and that's what creates that scarcity. Um, just in terms of game theory, there's not really an incentive for a large number of people running nodes. You would need a majority of them essentially to break that cap in order for it, the, it to be valuable. And there's not an incentive to do so because you would crash the value of your own Bitcoin, right? So there, that's how the entire system works. The idea behind it, for me, you know, my, why I got involved in it. So I'll, I'm going to take it back to a really basic level here because I find that a lot, interestingly, a lot of people that are interested in political economy do not understand the monetary system very well. Um, so one thing you have to understand about the modern monetary system is that it's a fiat system. And that means that governments just, our money's not backed by anything. So before 1971, uh, most of the, most of the world financial systems were backed by gold. If you had a dollar, there was a fixed amount of gold you could take, uh, that you could get in exchange for that dollar. It it wasn't quite that simple. I'm oversimplifying a little, but for purposes of our discussion here, that's how it worked. Um, we came off that standard and we just decided globally, it was Nixon that did this. Uh, governments could just print literally as much money as they wanted to finance things however they wanted. Now, the problem with that fiat system, you know, if you were doing that in the way that, for instance, MMTers want to do, like someone like Stephanie Kelton wants to do, that might be appealing on some level to many listeners of this podcast because what you could do is you could just print more dollars. I'm going to drastically oversimplify, give them to poorer people, and that would de- that would make poorer people's lives better, and it would devalue the dollars that the richer guys are holding, right? That, again, gross oversimplification, but that's the idea. Well, the pro- there's a couple problems with that. One is which that that's just not the way the financial system works. Uh, all, I think every country in the world, I think, think or if certainly all the western industrialized countries um operate with a central bank that controls the money supply and that central bank is not a government institution it is chartered by the like the US central bank is the federal reserve it's chartered by the um federal government of the united states but it's owned by the banks it's owned by its member banks it is not owned by the fe- by the federal government Uh, The president gets to appoint the chair, but he doesn't even get to appoint all the governors. Uh, A good number of them are appointed by the member banks themselves. So this basically creates a lot of power in the banking industry. So what ends up happening is when the monetary supply is expanded, it's not like the Federal Reserve just doesn't send us $1,200 checks, right? Like they don't do that. Uh, They could do that. They don't. They're independent of the government, so they could do that, but they don't. Because that's not who they represent. They're owned by the banks. So what they do is when they increase the monetary supply, the first recipients of that new money, all these new dollars as we expand the monetary supply, are the banks themselves. And then the second recipients are generally the largest holders of capital that have relationships with those banks. Uh, And then it funnels down through the system, right? The Kulaks might get it after that. And then at the very bottom are average, ordinary people that get it after the Kulaks. What's the problem with that filtering system? Is something called uh, the Cantillon effect. Okay, The Cantillon effect is interesting because it's something that usually like ultra-libertarians care about uh, or like even anarcho-capitalists talk about a lot. But it's actually – there's no reason if you're a leftist that you sh- sh- shouldn't understand this. I'm certainly not in any way a libertarian. Uh, and I'm nowhere near re- remotely a, uh, an anarcho-capitalist, right? The only sort of, I guess, you know, economic interventionist people that ever talk about the, uh, the Cantillon effect are distributists. You'll hear them talk about it. Um, and Sloppy I'm actually, seconds, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the, 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 you could describe the, the effect as sloppy second, right? Yeah, exactly So the way it works And there are some hard money communists out there Like that, they're a small group of guys But I've run into a couple of those guys Over time that do talk about this stuff So the idea here The Cantillon effect works like this So if, if, I, Merrick, if I give you Let's say we live in a The best way to understand inflation by the way Is the DuckTales episode Where Huey, Dewey and Louie um, Get a gun that can double the gold Coins, Scrooge's gold coins, and then they're they're distraught to find out that after they do that enough, you know, it's like a thousand dollars to go buy a soda, right? That's that's <laughs> the general idea. The more dollars that you produce, change chasing the same amount of goods, the more prices are going to go up. Which would be neutral if that was evenly distributed, but the problem is, if I create a thousand dollars and I give it to Merrick, right, in the economy, in a, let's say a small closed economy where. Only $1,000 is circulating and I just print a new $1,000 and I give it to Merrick. Well, prices don't go up right away because that money hasn't hit the economy yet. So Merrick can go buy a bunch of shit at the old prices, right? And it's not till a bunch of his new $1,000 hits the economy that prices start to catch up by rising. So when Bog and I in this closed economy finally get Merrick's $1,000 because He's been buying stuff and it just starts circulating through. Well, this new $1,000 didn't benefit us very much because now everything's twice as expensive as it was before. So this is a way, it's a type of economic redistribution. Money printing and inflation is a direct method of economic redistribution that distributes uh, from the bottom to the top. It is literally poor people financing rich people. I mean, that's the best, that's the simplest you know, oversimplification I can give of it. And what prevents the Cantillon effect would be a currency with a fixed monetary supply. So the gold standard prevents that, right? Because I can only, at least in theory, print as much money as I have gold sitting in Fort Knox. So that sort of prevents that from happening. The problem with gold standards is when governments get in trouble, they always break them. And then it's hard (laughs) to get them to go back on the gold standard. Because you know the bankers don't want to go back on it. So let's say, like, let's say you're on a gold standard. The, our gold standard in the United States broke in '71 because of the Vietnam War. We spent a lot of money on the Vietnam War. We wanted to just like pay off all those war debts, so we broke the gold standard to do it. But I, why did we? I we, would
1: also argue, yeah. uh, beyond that too. It's kind of like we we it was a it was a move we made to maintain our hegemony. Uh, you, you know, I would. I, it was kind of like a trade off where. You 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 trade stability for remaining in charge of the global economy, which we well. Did that's then. the
0: second part of it that I'm going to get into in a second. It, it actually ties to why we outsourced all our good jobs overseas as well. Yeah. Um. Continue. That that's that's very tied to to all this as well. So, uh, you know, when we broke the gold standard because to pay off Vietnam War debts, we never went back on it because everybody at the top was like, "Oh, this is freaking great. Why would we ever?" Uh, you know, go back to some stodgy gold standard. And what we ended up doing, what what that enabled was a situation where um, balance of payments started to operate in an entirely different way. And I'll explain what that means. So in a complete fiat economy where I can print as many dollars as I want, right? Uh, Let's say I am China. Well, let's say I'm the United States, excuse me. And I'm just printing a ton of money just to do a bunch of different stuff, right? I'm paying off bankers. I can use some of it possibly for social welfare systems, of course, but obviously a lot of this is going to the people at the top. Now, I don't want inflation to get out of control, right? Because the more dollars I print, people do tend to notice inflation if it gets too far out of control. So how can I prevent that inflation from taking place? Well... I can increase the demand for dollars to make them more valuable. And one of the ways I can do that is by sending all of our jobs, let's say, to China so that now we have to import stuff uh, from China. And when we import stuff from China, we get paid we you know we have to you know pay them or they, they, when we import stuff from China, China gets these. Do- China gets dollars. They get paid in dollars for their goods because that's what Americans have. Now they could sell those dollars and immediately, you know, crash the value of the dollar. But by doing that, that would encourage goods to be made in the United States where they're now cheaper, right? So what they do instead is they re- China reinvest those dollars back in Wall Street institutions in the United States, um, and by doing that, China. It, uh, artificially inflates the value of the dollar, which Wall Street likes because they have all these dollar. That's the financialization of the economy, right? All these dollars are pouring into the Wall Street portion of the economy. And China likes that because it keeps their currency comparatively less expensive than the dollar, which means that it's going to be financially incentivized to produce things in China instead of in the United States. So that is also a part of how fiat currency sort of enables... Uh, this all to basically happen You can print dollars And avoid out of control inflation Just by making sure That China doesn't sell them You know what I mean? That China has a demand for them And, and China doesn't It's not just China by the way It's uh, Petrodollars are a huge part of this But I'm not even I'm Not going to go there right now For, um, for so, context we, yeah. we, have a,
2: we have a little lobby room Where we've uh, Arranged this uh, Go Go uh, Take a moment. I'll post the graphs and and take go back to, to the our Twitter GC and go check out those yes, graphs. Uh, that's
1: that's incredible. Let me go it, back
2: there. Sort of in and well, I'll post them when I post the episode. And what, what I yeah. showed, so every sort of graph that involves things that should be really important to everyone, like um, like income inequality, like uh, productivity versus hourly compensation like uh even 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 ones that are that are like uh uh, like black income all these kinds of things uh they're like all of them are sort of follow a a general thing and then like in 1971 and a half they go crazy yep or 1972 and uh one of the things that and i never when i i love classic cars and one of the things that you notice is that uh there's all these beautiful classic cars from uh, from the 50s to the 60s. You get the, the muscle cars. And then you have the Hemis, 440s, big, beautiful cars. And then in 1971.5, you know, people say, that oh, was 69-kit Corvette. It's 1970 Corvette. The only ones where it's like that, I believe it's 71 and a half. It's like 71 and a half. Everything just turns to pure shit.
0: Yep. <laughs> overnight. There's... Uh- So, a personal friend of mine who I don't agree with at all on politics, but he's still a good guy. Uh, He's an anarcho capitalist, Seyfedina Moose, um, has written even about how this affected art. Like, you know, art went, we we went from uh, like architecture art from building beautiful things to just building high velocity trash. Um, Sometimes this is referred to as the high velocity trash economy.
2: You hear a lot about (laughs) mid century modern, you don't hear a lot about the shag carpets of the 70s. Something happened, 1971, 1972, that radically changed America. Yep. There's a website you can look up called What the Fuck Happened in 1971.
0: I know those guys. Run. I was about to say that. I know the guys that run that. Yeah. They don't
2: They don't tell you anything, and there's like 100 graphs. Go there. Just look at all these graphs of like something seriously fucked up in America happened in 1971.
1: That's great. You know those guys. Are they? So they're... Are they they're complaining about fiat currency in a like a, a a roundabout way? Is that what they're doing, Jeff?
0: They're not even co- I mean they're they're in a very straightforward way. Uh like, com- complaining about fiat currency, but yeah, w-
1: yeah. Absolutely. You have to too because it's funny, we, we we've been doing this podcast for for over a year. We've had people on here. We've had we've had a guy who's like a dark enlightenment <laughs> whatever, mar- monarchist uh We've had communists on here. We've had all these disparate, like, weird ideologies, many of which, like, well, you know, Curtis Jarvin was on here, and he thinks that the, everything went wrong in 1600. We'll have communists in here who think that, you know, hey, the, the 19th century ideology is the way to go. But the second you talk shit about fiat currency, everybody in the world bands together. It's like, that's fucking crazy. Look at this crazy-ass gold bug. I, I don't even want to hear this. You're, you're saying the earth is flat. Now... I'm clearly I don't I, I don't know nearly enough about currency in the financial system to like to, to make a call on this. But it's very strange how talking like, like the fiat currency thing is just a third rail that you will get just lit up if you touch.
0: Yeah, because it's it's it is entirely so I'm I'm a real weirdo on this because usually if you talk about this, you're like a Ron Paul guy. Right. Like so it's. The people that talk about this stuff are almost universally extreme libertarians or even as so far to go as anarcho-capitalists. Um, <clears throat> one of the ways in which I am neither of those things, and one of, the, one of the ways many of those guys I know very well, but that I always jokingly tell them is the problem with just unrestricted free markets is it actually can't support hard money um, because you know once capital consolidates enough— the people in charge are always going to be incentivized to institute a fiat currency and they're going to have the market power to do that because it's just an absolutely colossal amount of control. I mean, that's what fiat currency does. It places (coughs) colossal amounts of control, uh, in the hands of people who own the largest amount of capital. I mean, that's, that's what it does in a nutshell. Now, if you are a communist and you're on the accelerationist side, um, you might think that's good, right? Like, And I've heard from people that do think that that's good for the same reason that people thinking like Bezos owning everything is good, right? Bezos owning everything or Walmart owning everything gets us closer to, capital, uh, to communism. So if that's your perspective, then uh, you don't necessarily, you're not going to view this as a problem. I don't think that way because I don't tend to think of things like my perspective is like if that were the case and i am not at all convinced it is cuz i think that once bezos has everything for i'm oversimplifying obviously uh once bezos and his friends have everything like i don't think it's going to be so easy to get them into communism but <laughs> but you know even if that's correct i that's not ha- that ain't happening in my lifetime i'll tell you that much uh it's certainly not so i only tend to look at political economy in terms of things that can make things better for my generation, the following one, the one after that. And none of them, I don't think, are benefited by, you know, acceleration in inequality. So that, you know, that's generally my take on it. And I'm very unique in terms of people that talk about this stuff because, again, they tend to all be uh, like anarcho-capitalists or extreme libertarians when really there's no reason to for... This talk to be isolated to those people, really anyone that cares about economic inequality should be looking at this at least. Even if they disagree with what I'm saying, uh, You know, this is something you might want to look at.
2: In the 30s and the 40s and the 20s, like we had roads and infrastructure and stuff. And think thing about the fiat currency, well... You know, that's not that's not my thing. My thing is that the income inequality and, and, and the purchasing power and all that stuff. If that's the, if that's the problem, then then I'm certainly interested.
0: Yeah. And the new deal operated during a time where we were on a, at least a, we had quasi hard money in the United States. We essentially had we had hardish money meaning that it was it was basically fixed to gold so you know i think that's worth thinking about as well
2: but you didn't have to you didn't have to be uh, no gods no masters in intense uh, uh you know, bi- yeah. bioshock uh person to <laughs> yeah <laughs> to sign on to, you know, the 1950s, you know? Exactly,
0: right. I think that's, right. I think that's, you hit the nail right on the head there, yeah. Just to go back to how this all ties to Bitcoin, Bitcoin, even if it, let's say it doesn't take over as global currency, right, uh, at some point, which I'm agnostic on. I think it's beneficial either way, even if it just continues to exist in parallel to the dollar. It certainly impairs the inflation ability of the government to some degree because the fact that this alternative currency exists helps keep the government honest in terms of getting too out of control with inflation. Because if they do, then you're going to see a situation where more and more people, particularly overseas, start turning away from the dollar uh, and toward the Bitcoin. That's called hyper-Bitcoinization. That would be a hypothetical scenario where The dollar actually falls out of circulation because it inflates to such a degree versus the Bitcoin. And like I said, I don't believe that's necessarily going to happen. But either way, you know, I believe that this is beneficial. One of the other things I just want to address briefly that a lot of people will say when I mention this is, well, like, oh, well, this is a silly project because the government could just could just shut it down. Right, obviously, if they wanted to. Despite the fact that it's a decentralized computer network, I actually agree that you could pretty much shut it down uh, if the government was really incentivized to do that. Uh, you could never shut it down in its entirety because there would always be black market people still using it for illicit activity. But you could you could get normies out of it, right? Which is all yes. they would really need to do is just get all the normies terrified to use it because they, the FBI would just show up at your door and take you away and throw you in a cell. The problem with that is... We already have too much institutional and mainstream adoption for that to happen. These institutions, even if this impairs their ability to benefit from the Cantillon effect in the future, you have to remember that institutions are made up of people. And if I run a bank and I have the ability to make a shit ton of money on a parabolic increase of Bitcoin... I'm probably not so worried about the fact that my bank 20 years from now might be getting impaired benefits from the Cantillon effect, right? So the nice part about Bitcoin in terms of it being banned is like I refer to it as you're turning the monster against Dr. Frankenstein. By getting these people involved with it, people that I don't care for very much, right? People that run Wall Street banks, certainly not people that I care for. But I recognize by having their institutional adoption on this, you're in the long run using their own greed against them. Um, Hmm. That's sort of the idea here, and that's what makes the whole system work, because everyone's just incentivized to make themselves rich.
1: Yeah, Jeff, that thing you said about normies was on point, because Bald Beef and I remember when Bitcoin first entered the conscious, it was like maybe a year or two after it started, and people were, you know, they were setting up, like, computers with uh, the graphical, uh, with the uh, graphics... Cards to mine them or whatever, and it was kind of a big joke. Like all these guys are, <laughs> look at these nerds doing this project. They'll never amount to anything. And one of the problems that they had was that you could you could get a, you could get a bitcoin, but you couldn't cash it out. Really, there was no no like easy way to get someone who would you know exchange your bitcoin. For United States currency, you had to go through middlemen and it was a real pain in the ass. And was Usually you had skin. to
0: PayPal just randos back Right. Then. Yeah.
1: And, and, and that was one of the like, legitimate reasons. Like when I saw that I was like, well, this is something that you're gonna invest this time and you are never be able to get the money out. Of course, that turned out to be wrong. But like you said, because so many normies and corporate entities have adopted it now, that's, that's not a problem anymore, I assume.
0: No, I mean, there are licensed regulated exchanges in the United yeah. States, uh, like the one that most people are probably most familiar with, if they're familiar with any that are listening, are, is uh, Coinbase. There's also a ton of other giant ones like Gemini, Kraken, ItBit, uh, yeah. you know, n- many of Bittrex. And then there's other easier, there's really easy ways to buy it now. Everybody that has a Cash App tag has the ability to buy Bitcoin now. That functionality is built right into Cash App. Um, and it's going to be built uh, in kind of a crappy way to begin with. I won't get into why, but probably better over time, built into PayPal as well. Um, so it's not hard to change your dollars into bitcoin right now
2: we talked about this thing that uh, this seems to be one of these third rails uh so if there is anyone out there that's like no 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 you can't get um this, this is you, you can't talk about this this is a you, you need this to have an equitable society democratic socialism welcome to talk happy to talk to you happy to talk to you i'm we're just learning stuff
0: yeah i mean all yeah i mean and all i can say is that Look i mean it, well, i'm not saying it was uh it was a communist or socialist utopia, but in the era where we had some of the largest you know social welfare programs, redistributive programs, unionization things of that nature, we were on a quasi gold standard right that nineteen forty five to nineteen seventy one era was probably the height of that in the united states i'm not again i'm not saying it was communism, but it was better than what we got now.
2: we were saying during uh we had a short break the thing went down Merrick made a good point that like uh like, it's certainly not immediately obvious to me, like, if, the, like, if there's, like, a hard yes or no answer with this to, like... It didn't it didn't seem like communists were at the discussion table when this went down, right? It didn't, <laughs> yeah. it didn't seem like, 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 uh, well, the communists wanted one thing and the other guys wanted... It, it seemed... That seemed to be entirely... Yeah, it seemed like people that... Yeah, we
0: I don't all think hate. Richard Nixon was consulting with them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But maybe he was. if. if, if like I said, open invitation. It's
1: kind of like people that we all you know, re- universally hate uh, benefited greatly from this and are still in charge of it. I want to ask you about a potential black swan. And I saw someone... Uh, people keep talking about quantum computing, and I know that that's like vaporware at this point. Yeah. That could be something that could potentially could screw up Bitcoin, right? If, if there was a massive increase in processing power, you could the the reason we say encryption is it works is because it would take to, you know longer than the the lifespan of the universe to crack something well if 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 you had somebody make hardware go a lot faster then you could potentially crack every type of encryption available today including
0: what bitcoin yes. uses so right now if that happened that's very interesting if that happened then it just sort of got out in the wild immediately and it wasn't so if my understanding and i'm not a you'd have to be a mathematician to really answer this perfectly but when i've talked to people that understand asymmetrical cryptography very well the impression that i've always gotten is a couple couple things number one if that ever happened and it happened in such a way that it was like an immediate thing rather than slow progressions whereby the cryptographic system would constantly be catching up. In other words, computers got more powerful, but then encryption kept catching up and getting more powerful too. If it didn't happen that way and someone somebody just cracked the code and put out a quantum computer and everything was breakable, well, that's true it would kill bitcoin. It also means airplanes would fall out of the sky, <laughs> the financial, like I'm not kidding about that. Like that would happen. Uh you know the financial system would collapse. Uh, like, like you know, a, a lot of really, really bad stuff would happen because we sort of re- Bitcoin would be the least of our problems at that point.
1: That's a good point, point. and also when we're, if if you're talking about just hard currency, you know, like you said, there's a t- t- so 21 million bitcoins, right?
0: Yeah, 21 million.
1: You could you could make 21 million Dale Earnhardt commemorative plates and say this is now the, the valid currency. Of the United States, and you can get a you know you can get a point zero zero one share of this Dale Earnhardt. You can do this with anything. That the, the Bitcoin part isn't isn't like if, if you're talking just about fiat versus hard currency, the Bitcoin stuff wouldn't matter really. Correct. Right?
0: Yeah. You could theoretically do it with gold. The advantage to Bitcoin is like. The way you transact in gold is usually through a gold-backed currency, and usually the issuer of that currency is always is a government that's incentivized to eventually come off the gold standard when they have to. Um, you could transact in gold directly, but you have a real problem with that because gold is it's like, it's heavy. It's heavy as shit. It's hard to transport. It's not divisible. Like if I have, let's say I have one troy ounce of gold, which I think is currently worth somewhere in the ballpark of two grand and I want to, and you and I go out to dinner, America, and we want to split the tab, well, like, what am I going to do with that one-ounce coin, right? Like, am I going to try and shave a little piece off? Like, it's not, there's a practicality issue there when you're ter- when you're terms of... uh transacting in gold directly and they and can that, find
1: they could find more of it they can eventually possibly create it yeah
0: I mean the finding more that. of it is less of an well until recently I guess has would historically have been less of an issue because we actually had a pretty good idea of what the total amount of gold was in the earth like scientists have a pretty good idea of that uh, so mining it's just a matter of how much mining that they're willing people are willing to do at a given time so it can fluctuate but not to an extreme level the issue now is if we ever like land in a mining apparatus on top of one of these asteroids in outer space that was filled with gold because apparently that's a thing that's out there and that's a that is a possibility like not next year but at some point in the future but that's a fairly new like you know asteroid mining is a fairly new that's
1: not going to happen anytime speaking of mining could you i'm sorry
2: so this comes up a lot in in fiction, especially uh, post apocalyptic uh fantasy, sci-fi. Like, how would you do the money? All Video Games uses bottle caps in a future <laughs> where they don't have bottle caps. One of the funniest ones I've, I've always heard of was uh, using human teeth. Because this produces sort of like a manageable level of inflation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? <laughs>
2: Human teeth are, are very plentiful, but not not you know not the most easy thing to come by. Relatively small, you know. Um. It's easy to transport,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind
2: of fucked. Kind of fucked up video games are you
1: playing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask about. My- well, that's why I mean. Sorry, just real quick. I mean, that's Native good. Americans used to use like certain types of shells and stuff um, that were Womple. rare, right? Uh, and then there were you know there, historically there have been. You know things of that nature that have that have sort of uh, you know come into use as a currency because of the limited supply of them.
2: Star Trek used basically wampum too, right? I never really watched Star Trek. I don't Trek.
1: think Star Trek had money, did it? was not that the whole point?
2: Well, that's so they didn't need money, but then like uh, they really did at some point. You know what
1: I mean? And in, in the new one, there were like sp- sp- uh, space aliens that were that were very greedy, and they they were really obsessed with gold, and like I think like the. The, the the Star Trek people were like really like why does this guy care so much about gold? Who, who gives a shit?
2: You know that that was one of the OG um, like consp- like grand conspiracy theories. You know, there's like the big grand conspiracy theories like the Illuminati runs the world, flat Earth, these big ones. One of the OG ones was that like humans were uh, humans were seeded on the Earth by aliens, and basically. Um, given enough programming so that they would they would go build societies whatever didn't matter but all of it sort of um, the one thing we were just really here to collect gold for them and so like uh this is why like every society uh valued gold for whatever reason <laughs> and um and then like in the end they would just sort of kick open all the fort Knoxes, the pawn shops and things and uh, and get their gold back <laughs>
0: Well, and this is why, I mean, that's why, I mean, the early ages of exploration, right? The conquistadors, yeah. what were they looking for? They were looking for gold.
2: They wanted that gold, baby.
0: And that this is the same in terms of like, you know, a scarce uh, unit with manageable inflation in the supply. It's why cigarettes are uh, currency in jail, you know? Yeah. I, I want
1: to ask the man about him. when Bitcoin first came out. Like, So the the person who invented Bitcoin, he had all the Bitcoins at first, right?
0: Well, no, that's not how Bitcoin's mm-hmm. really... had to re- be decrypted. Yeah, so basically, the, the Bitcoin monetary supply slowly expands over time until it gets up to 21 million. So right now, I'm off by a little bit. I think we're close to 19 million Bitcoins right now. It's a const- The growth slows constantly over time. And that's what mining is. Right. <laughs> so miners contribute... Their computing power in order to crypto, cryptographically verify transactions. And in exchange, they get paid in what's called the block reward, which is basically the new Bitcoin that enters circulation. What happens? Eventually, when Bitcoin, that'll yeah. stop once we get to 21 million Bitcoin. Uh, it, it, you know, it actually just gets really, really, really small over time, is, is more apt to be what happens. But it, it essentially stops. And, well, it does, excuse me, I should say. It does. $21 is a hard cap. It stops. And then at that point, the miners' incentives to uh, continue mining, which is verifying these transactions, is the amount of transaction fees that people attach to their transactions when they submit a Bitcoin transaction to the network. So transaction fees are part of the network right now. So right now the miners get the transaction fees and they get the block reward. When we eventually hit that cap, or get to the point where the block reward is so tiny as to be negligible or whatever, it'll just be the transaction fees. Um, that's, that's
1: pretty clever, that actually.
2: Way back, people were using their home computers to mine where there's a bunch of funny forum posts people burned down their yeah. house. And then... All the Bitcoin mining went to uh, people just made like a uh, you could purchase like a a, a machine that, like a computer that was just designed just to mine bitcoin so that sort of got rid of the the, the people using their home pc but during one of the one of these times um, for entirely unconnected reason i uh, I bought three video cards and I intended to return two of them the ones I didn't like. And um, I just bought them at a random time. I, I love making use of it. Amazon's generous return policy. And um, uh, I remember, so I bought them, and then I got ready to return them for whatever reason. I looked on the line, and there were no video cards like in the United States. There was none. You couldn't buy a <laughs> video card in the fucking United States. And I was like, "What the fuck?" I, I ended up and I sold them on eBay for. I bought them for like seven hundred a piece, and I sold them on eBay for like two Gs a pop, right? And what had happened? Well, Ethereum had come out. And Ethereum, you couldn't mine it with like a a pre-built machine made just for it. You had to use a video card, and so there was like no reason to do anything. Like there, you know, the cash incentive was to buy every one you could possibly have, and so there was just fucking no video card in the the world that weren't be wasn't being used mining.
0: That was Ethereum. I remember remember that. That was yeah. So what what happened there? Just for anybody that's interested, I won't get too far in the technical details, but. So Bitcoin, eventually you, mu- you could mine it. Initially, you could mine it like on your home computer with a video card or even just with your CPU if you go back far enough. <clears throat> Over time, what was developed were these things called a- ASICs, Application Specific Integrated Circuits. And that's a computer that actually literally all it can do is execute the algorithm necessary to uh, mine Bitcoin. When those first came out, the first one, if I remember correctly, was crowdfunded on Reddit. I wasn't involved in Bitcoin quite that early, and if you bought one out of the crowdfunding session, though, they were so much more efficient at mining than any other than just a regular computer. But those guys, I thinking, I think were making something like, on average, something insane, like thirty Bitcoin a week. Uh, and they were able to do that for for months on end until other manufacturers got in the game and started making ASICs. Now my numbers there are a little bit off; I haven't looked at that, you know those numbers recently. But you get the general idea. And then eventually, what happened over time is mining today is all done at ASIC farms, so large industrial server farms of ASICs, and almost all of it. It's this is actually really interesting. Um, is done. sources of renewable energy where there's not a use for it because it's too isolated. So for instance, you got a waterfall that's out in the middle of nowhere, so it's not uh, economically feasible to put a hydroelectric plant there and run the electricity into the nearest town. Well, what'll happen is like a Bitcoin mining facility will set up there uh, and take advantage of the electricity generated by the waterfall. Or in the U.S., The big way that it's happening is when natural gas is mined, they have to flare off the byproduct. And most of this stuff is in rural areas, so they have no use for it. So they literally just like burn it into the sky and completely waste it. So this is like in rural Texas and places like this. They'll actually now set up mining farms out there that trap that and burn it off for energy uh to run bitcoin <laughs> miners that's ASIC miners. that's like a real business now yeah so the reason i bring that up is because you know when one of the big criticisms about bitcoin is that it's boiling the ocean because it uses so much electricity because of the mining they never mention the fact that it's mostly using waste electricity at this point stuff that wouldn't be viable otherwise yeah, it, but that was a big criticism
1: of like one of the things people made. People made fun of Bitcoin at first, uh, and, and people would like you know have run their fucking uh, Nvidia video card all night and overheat their bedroom and stuff like that. And uh, like it, it, for a while, it was like, well, you might you would burn more like more uh, electricity. Dollar wise then you got back from the Bitcoin, but obviously as soon as it became valuable they did what you were saying like you'd move it out to like a fucking server farm in China and and mine them that way
0: yeah like,
1: these things they never scale the way that people think it's going to
0: China you know I mean? rural Texas uh, there's some in upstate New York. Uh, Iceland does some of it with its geothermal energy from the volcanoes. Uh, I believe, I believe they're still doing that. They were at one point anyway. I don't know exactly, but that's sort of the idea. A funny story, similar to what you mentioned was early on before the mining farms, I met a guy once out at a dinner, uh, who did this really early on early in the ASIC era. So he was using ASICs to do it. And he lived in Massachusetts where it's real cold, right? He ran an entire room full of ASICs to mine. Now, it was only profitable for for him to do this for about six months before computing power caught up and his equipment was obsolete uh, to the point where he would have been spending more electric than profit. But it was profitable for him to do it for about six months, and he did it in the winter. And these things (laughs) produced so much heat that he had every window in his house open all winter in Massachusetts— Did not turn the heat on In his house Once the entire winter This is a place Where they're getting Like a snow dumped On them and stuff And he was like Sometimes at night If it wasn't super cold out We would still have to Run a fan in the bedroom (laughs) God bless America Making their way The only way they know how That's just